Welcome to Not the Expert, where a man who understands nothing talks with experts who know way more than him. It's your source for sounding smarter than you actually are. Not the Expert Podcast with Sean Hudson. I'm not the expert. You can call me Hudson. I'm joined by Caleb Warple. Hey, Hudson. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Caleb, you're the expert when it comes to living with cancer. You were diagnosed with an aggressive type of blood cancer in early 2018. You've been battling cancer for almost an entire year. You've undergone several types of treatment to treat your cancer, one of which is uh, new and recently approved by the Food and Drug Administration. We're going to kind of dive into a few minutes what exactly, I guess, type of cancer you have, as well as some of the changes your body's gone under since being diagnosed with cancer. Yes, sir. But if you want to catch up with more episodes of Not the Expert Podcast, you got a couple of options. You can subscribe on SoundCloud by searching Not the Expert Podcast, or follow along and join the conversation on Facebook by searching Not the Expert Podcast. From Big Ben to the Empire State Building, the only podcast where you know more than the host, not the expert. Kind of break down what type of cancer do you have? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. What type of cancer do you have? And I guess where do you have it, if that makes sense? So what I have, it's a uh, type of blood cancer. It's called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And what happens is this cancer actually originates in your blood and immune system. And so what happens is these cells start to divide and they create tumors basically anywhere in your body because your vascular system made up of your veins and different things of that nature are strewn about through your entire body. So these tumors pop up anywhere. In my particular case, it showed up in my chest and my lungs. So the actual subtype of the lymphoma that I have is called primary mediastinal non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I had this tumor pop up in my chest and in my lungs and that's pretty much where it started. It's in your blood, and then tumors start to form, and boom, you find out you have cancer. And it would have been possible, though, for this, I guess, to kind of pop up is the word you used anywhere in your body, or is it common for this type to be where you have it, like in the chest? So for people my age who are like in their 20s, typically it shows up in the chest and in the lungs. So that's the most common, but it is possible for it to be in your abdomen, in your armpit, in your neck, in your throat. So yeah, essentially anywhere. But in more cases than not, for people my age, it shows up in the chest. So I want to kind of get your opinion on something. We asked a question on the Facebook page. It's uh, not the expert podcast. If you had a terminal disease and had three months to live, would you want to know? And then the follow-up question was, what are some things you would do in those final months? Now, that's not the case for you right now. You're not, you don't have three months to live, right? That is correct. Gotcha. Well, I just want to make sure, yeah, knock on wood, all that good stuff. Uh, 88% of people who participated in the survey said yes, they would want to know. So people who commented on it, Alex from New York said she'd go through her ultimate bucket list, skydiving, scuba diving, all of that stuff. Brittany from New Jersey said travel. And Lexi from Illinois said spend all her money because what is she going to use it on then? What changed for you in terms of outlook on life when you found out you were diagnosed with cancer? Your outlook is completely altered uh, at the drop of a hat. So your life as you know it completely changes. You have a new lens, a new perspective. All of a sudden you might have an expiration date, well, you know, whether it's three months like you mentioned or if it's a year from now. So your perspective just completely shifts into almost survival mode or what do I need to get done? What do I want to do? What do I want my life to be like? And you just have to start to appreciate things on a deeper level and learn to live again essentially. So uh, to give you an example, when I found out that I had cancer, I, my immediate reaction was I need to write a will because, you know, for 
the people that I leave behind someday. So you had one of the, your respondents say that they would spend all their money. Well, that wasn't my case. My case was how do I take care of my family if I do happen to leave? So yeah, you just, you definitely have to change your way of thinking and yeah, you need to change your, your mindset and become more aware of what it is you're doing on a daily basis and how you, the rest of your life is going to play forward. I think it's kind of natural when you're told you have cancer to immediately be like, oh man, there's so much I haven't done. Was there something that popped up in particular for you that you're like, I can't believe I haven't done, insert this here yet? Absolutely. For my particular case, once I learned that I had to undergo chemotherapy treatment, my wife and I were very concerned about having children. And more times than not, after you have chemotherapy, you, for men in particular, you become sterile, so then you can't have children anymore. The same goes for women. A lot of times they go through early menopause, things like that. So that was my first reaction was, holy crap, I'm not gonna be able to have children with my wife. Luckily, we were able to do some sperm banking before I started treatment. So we have a couple deposits in the bank, if you will, to hopefully maybe do some in vitro stuff later on down the road. But that's definitely a, a mind-blowing thing when you learn that maybe someday you can't have kids naturally. and you know, will essentially be having, you know, test tube children more or less. So that that's a little bit of uh, a shocker to go through that. For me, especially, but also, you know, as a woman, my wife was pretty devastated by that. It's pretty, um, it's a pretty deep connection for women that want to have children to learn that they can't someday. Cancer, obviously, it literally affects you, but you're worried about something that's bigger than you. It's your family. It's bigger than just you or maybe even your wife. Absolutely. It's a chain reaction. You know, it affected my wife, it affected my parents, my siblings, my coworkers. Everyone around you is essentially affected by cancer just as much as the patient themselves. So I'd like to take a trip back to the beginning. What was it that made you go to the doctor that eventually led to what I imagine is the series of tests that was able to determine that you have cancer? So what initially happened was I was doing a home renovation project. I was doing some Standing on a vanity in my bathroom, I was cleaning it up, using harsh chemicals, this, that, and the other thing. And I started having some really bizarre breathing issues, shortness of breath, and I kind of just passed it along as, you know, maybe I'm inhaling some chemicals and I'm just not reacting well to it. Woke up the next day and my face was completely swollen. My eyes were puffy. My shortness of breath had just continually increased to the point where I couldn't breathe. And I, once again, kind of brushed it off thinking, okay, if this isn't gone tomorrow, I'll go to the doctor. Well, tomorrow came and everything just continued to get worse. So I made an appointment with my doctor. And at this point I'm coughing up blood and things are just progressively getting worse and worse. So we go through the list at the doctor's office of what this could be. You know, maybe it's a bacterial infection. Maybe I did breathe in some chemicals while I was doing this project, maybe uh, there's a thing in Arizona called Valley Fever, which is basically um, a bacterial infection in your lungs. So that was kind of what we did. We went down the list and they couldn't figure out what it was. Well, last case scenario, my doctor said, let's get a chest x-ray. Let's see what's going on inside you. And then we'll go from there. So that was the last thing we did. So I go down to the x-ray room. I get the technician, does the x-ray. And all of a sudden he goes, hey, you need to go see your doctor again. And I'm sitting there like, okay. Like, what's the deal? Did you find something? So I go into my doctor's office and she pulls up the x-ray and there's this massive, about the size of a grapefruit shadow in my chest, which was the primary tumor where the cancer formed. And that's kind of when everything 
progressed from there and we started down the, the cancer road, if you will. So how far was cancer from your mind that day you woke up with a swollen face? What did you maybe think it was? Did you WebMD it or anything? No, not at all. I mean, it, typically it takes me quite a bit to go to the doctor. So the fact that I even went was actually <laughs> kind of a miracle, um, which obviously I'm glad that I did. Um, but no, I didn't really head down the WebMD road or Google or anything like that. I just thought maybe I had like bronchitis or some sort of infection or something of that nature. Cancer was at the very bottom of my list. You kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, Caleb, but I'd like to know some more insight. That moment when you're fully comprehending you have cancer, what were some of your first thoughts? My first thought when I learned I had cancer was, I'm going to die. I think that's kind of uh, the natural response. But then you kind of go into survival mode. So it went from, oh, shit, I'm going to die. I have cancer to, no, I'm going to try to fight this. And then I hopped on the WebMD. I went down the Google train, and I learned that this type of cancer I have is typically very curable with chemotherapy in most cases. And then I learned, too, that my age was a factor. I was only 25. So being young, my body was in much more better physical shape than most people that get this cancer who are in their 60s or 70s. Their body just can't handle the treatment. So I learned that I had uh, positive factors on my side to beat this thing. And that was uplifting, but it's still the mental toll of knowing the road that I was about to go down took a very, very heavy weight on me, mentally and physically. My body just kind of started changing as well as my mind. What was your family's reactions, family, friends, coworkers, who have you, when you had to almost break the news to them that you have cancer? I mean, no one believed that I had it. I didn't believe it for the longest time. And it was, there's no cancer in my family anywhere. So I'm kind of the, uh, the OG, if you will, <laughs> of the cancer in my family. And it was just unbelievable, the response. I mean, no one believed it. No one believed it myself included. And it was especially hard to break the news to my wife, whose father, bless his soul, passed away in 2014 from cancer as well. So it was particularly sensitive for her, as well as me breaking the news to her that we needed to go down this road again. But yeah, it, that was definitely the hardest part was breaking the news to my family. The Air, My Air Force work family was incredibly supportive and immediately created outlets for me to do what I need to do to start healing. Friends, family, coworkers, they all know. What is it like now, though, when you tell people you have cancer? Because you've been living with it for almost a year. Uh, it's different now. I try not to let it define me. So a lot of times, you, I mean, it's hard for me to want to talk about it. Uh, but once I start, I have no problem. But it's not one of those things where I walk up to people and I first meet them and I say, hi, my name's Caleb, I have cancer. It just kind of falls into the conversation sometimes. But when you do let people know that, they give you the, well, wow, you look great, or how did it go? How are you feeling? They kind of start diving down that road, which I particularly am not a fan of. So just real quick to piggyback off that, though, what are some things that people do when you do tell them that annoys you? Or maybe does do people who know do things that annoy you overall? That's kind of a weird question. I guess what I'm asking is, do you ever take a deep sigh and you're like, okay, let's just get this over with? When you first learn you have cancer, you're leveled to a point of vulnerability that you don't want to be labeled as a fighter or a warrior because you don't know the journey you're about to go down. And you just have these people label you this way. And I actually have a friend 
who also had cancer, and he explained this in a way that when you learn you have cancer, you're stuck in the mud, okay? So sometimes you can't get up. Sometimes you can't wash yourself off. And you have these people saying, well, you're a fighter, you're a warrior. And it's like sometimes you just need someone to sit in the mud with you and say, damn, this sucks. I'm sorry you're stuck in the mud. Let me sit here with you. Instead of trying to lift you up, you just need to say, this sucks. And then you always have the, how are you feeling? And you look great. And it's kind of a no-brainer. It's like, how am I feeling? I still have cancer. How do you think I'm feeling? It sucks. So sometimes you just need someone to sit in the mud with you and tell you it sucks with you instead of trying to always lift you up or make you into some positive warrior. It's just, it's not fair. Can you describe this, I guess, supporting cast you've had uh, going through this battle against cancer and the who are some people you've really uh, fallen on, I guess, or kind of put some of the weight on? And the most weight has definitely been put on my wife, Rebecca. She has taken the brunt of it. She had to take a leave of absence from work for uh, nearly four months to help me go through treatment. In addition to that, my siblings, my sister, Lindsay, who is 10 years older than I am, and my brother, Jordan, who's four years older than I am, the the week I told them I had cancer, that following weekend, they actually flew to Phoenix from Michigan just to spend time with me and just to sit in the mud with me, if you will. And that was pretty spectacular. We actually all went out and got matching tattoos that week and just did some kind of bucket list things. That really helped propel me forward into treatment with a positive mindset. But those are definitely my three main supports. My parents, too, also made the trip out to Arizona to be with me, which was very special. They went to some chemotherapy treatments with me and just things like that when people go out of their way to be with you. Really, I guess when it's from your family, it means a whole lot. Yeah, that kind of speaks earlier to when you were saying it doesn't just affect you, it also affects the people around you. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was like a bomb went off inside my immediate family, just rallying the troops, if you will, of people creating support networks and donating money or creating a meal train and just all these different things, which we didn't necessarily need immediately, but it just kind of happened that way just because people, they want to help. And that, honestly, that's their treatment. My sister explained this to me in a way that when she found out that I had cancer, her treatment was doing things that she knew would help me. So, for instance, one day I come home from walking my dog around the block and there's a lazy boy truck in my driveway and she bought me a chair for my living room to be comfortable in while I was going through this. So it's those things like that that really speak volumes when you start to go through this journey that help you out. Can you speak on between time from diagnosis and today, what has been your absolute lowest point? So I went through two different types of chemotherapy and I quickly learned that chemotherapy was not going to work to cure my disease, which was very, very heartbreaking because as I mentioned earlier, when I started to research this cancer, I found that most of it was cured from one treatment of chemotherapy. And I had gone through two, and my oncologist came back and essentially said, look, chemotherapy is not going to cure you, so we're running out of options. We need to find something new that's going to cure you. And so we started dabbling into other alternative treatment methods, one of which was a bone marrow transplant, which entails about three months' stay in the hospital, and it's really just quite taxing on the body. 
so we were going to go down that road, but I actually became disqualified for that because I had too much disease still left in my body, which did not respond to the chemo. So another treatment came up called chimeric antigen receptor T-cell immunotherapy, otherwise referred to as CAR-T. And this is a brand new treatment just approved by the Food and Drug Administration. And I was actually the very first patient at the uh, Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona Hospital to undergo this treatment. And I ended up spending 12 days in the hospital, four of which I was in a coma, and I blacked out nearly a week of being in the hospital. And I think that was my, my lowest point by far. Um, I couldn't use the bathroom on my own. I couldn't shower on my own. I had complete strangers wiping my butt, showering me, doing all this stuff that the week prior I was completely capable of. So it, it was uh, a pretty low point as well as a life-altering and eye-opening experience. Can you speak on that? What goes into that? Because I've never heard of it. It's never happened to me, obviously. But it's almost like you were patient zero. I was patient zero. I was their guinea pig. So a lot of people who have received CAR-T have gone through clinical trials. Um, now that this drug is on the market, hospitals are implementing it across the nation, but a lot of them are, you know, they have patient zeros. So I just happened to be in Mayo Clinic's patient zero. I had a pretty unique response because I had such severe side effects, which aren't really documented in the literature through the clinical trials. So I was rare in that sense that I went into a coma. I had severe cerebral edema which is swelling of the brain. I had a, a drain placed into my brain to drain excess fluid out. I lost my ability to walk, my ability to write. I couldn't speak. So they were learning for me how to combat all of this through this new treatment and my side effects. And they've, they've actually done, I think, five other CAR-T treatments since me, most of which have been successful, but I was their guinea pig. So you said you went through a lot of things that were unusual. What is, if you were to sum it up in a very nutshell way, what is CAR-T ideally supposed to do? So CAR-T essentially is supposed to be a living drug inside your body, which harnesses the power of your own immune system to kill cancer cells. So they take your cells out of your body, they remanufacture them with a non-living virus that then attacks these cancer cells when they're reintroduced into your body. So uh, a typical hospital stay when you have this done would be you get your cells taken out, three weeks later, they reintroduce them into your body. And essentially, you should just have mild fever, maybe some chills, loss of appetite, some nausea, things of that nature. And the most fatal side effect is called cytokine release syndrome, sometimes referred to as CRS. And what that, ha what that is, is cytokines in your bloodstream attack your brain, basically, and you can flip into a coma like myself and you just become very confused and you lose motor functions, lose your ability to speak. So that's a very severe reaction, like I said, not documented in very much literature in the clinical trials. So now that it was FDA approved and I had those effects, that was kind of a unique aspect to my treatment. So we followed your almost whole story to this point, the ups, the downs, how it was at the beginning. I want to know, where are you now? How are you doing now? After the CAR-T treatment, 30 days later, I had a scan, a PET scan, which shows active cancerous parts in your body. And my scan revealed that 99% of the cancer was basically gone, which was a night and day difference. If you look at my scan before CAR-T 
to after, after 30 days, it was, I mean, just miraculous what this had done as far as curing me. I feel like cancer is one of those things that we can talk about it all day. And you can read a million articles about it, but until you live it, it's just, there's no way to even really understand. There isn't. No, until someone tells you you have cancer, I don't think you'll quite understand the gravity of the situation until it affects you personally. It's just, it's what a journey it's been, and it's not over. Even if they were to come back tomorrow and say you're 100% cured, my life has forever changed. My outlook on life, my perspective, I'll never be the same ever again. This whole thing is just so much bigger than me, and I can't really comprehend it at all. Obviously, I'm rooting for you and all that stuff. Before I let you go, is there anything you want to add? I just want people to know, man, that cancer is is shitty, but you can do it. And, you know, it's going to suck, and that's okay that it sucks. And you can cry, and you can be angry, and you can sit in the mud, and that's okay. You don't got to be a warrior. You don't got to be a fighter. Sometimes you just need to do what you got to do. And if that's sitting in the mud and feeling bad for yourself, that's okay. Just find a support system, find what works for you, and just keep going forward. Live each day like it's your last, and it's going to change your life forever. And for me personally, it's honestly positively affected my life, which is kind of crazy that to say that cancer has positively affected my life, but it has. I definitely appreciate my family, uh, my friends, my relationships with everyone on a much deeper level. So you can turn a negative into a positive just by changing your mindset with cancer. Hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to me. That's Caleb Warple. He's the expert when it comes to living with cancer. My name's Hudson, and I'm not the expert. The views and opinions expressed by guests in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the host and not the expert podcast.